want to pray for another church in our community. I want to pray specifically about this sermon. Uh, so if you join me in prayer. Lord, we want to lift up another, um, another church and another pastor and his family in our community, Lord. I want to pray for Roy Youngblood uh, and pray for uh, First Baptist Church, Greenville, Lord. We just want to ask you to, um, Lord, bless them. Uh, ask, them uh, ask you to uh, just uh, minister to them in a way that would just be just tangible, where they can just see your fingerprints and your movement and your hand. Lord, we just pray for, I want to pray for Roy. I ask you to um, bless his marriage, Lord. I, I um, ask that first, that what he's studying, what he's preaching, uh, what he's, um, the, the scripture that he's engaging daily and weekly, that it's on his uh, heart and it's on his mind, and that um, that affects the kind of husband that he is, the kind of father that he is. That it's, that's the first place it shows up. Lord, I pray that it also shows up in his relationships and um, and it also shows up in the pulpit and all the ministry that's connected to his role as pastor there. Lord, I pray that he is uh, enjoying your presence even this morning as he's uh, likely about to bring uh, a message uh, to your people at FBC Greenville, Lord. We ask that you'd bless that church, Lord. We pray that you would give them uh, just great problems of space issues and parking issues and uh, that that would be for your namesake and for your glory. Uh, we're thankful for the opportunity to lift them up this morning. Lord, I pray for these, uh, in these next few minutes regarding this sermon, regarding this people, Lord, that um, something uh, sort of obvious that's not so obvious would take place, Lord, that we would uh, really connect to this message in a way that's tangible, that, they would, that we would, together would see how, how really tangible and um, practical all of this is that we've been walking in these last few years in Ephesians. Lord, I know that's something only the Holy Spirit can do. So I turn my mouth, I turn this sermon, I turn my efforts, uh, I turn my mind over to you, and I turn the minds of the listeners over to you as well. Just pray that you would do what you do through the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Turn to the book of Ephesians. We are in Ephesians chapter 6. When I was in school, uh, elementary school and high school, I remember having a number of classes that I really, really did not like um, because I was thinking something really the whole time I'm taking the class is when am I ever going to use this again? Some, some of you might be able to relate to that. Some of you who are in school right now probably can relate to that. Uh, Daniel has been, I've been helping Daniel some, although that's turned back over to Christy lately, but for a little season there I was helping Daniel with math. And I have to admit I was having to use the answer key really to work every problem pretty much. Um, that's a perishable skill, but Daniel was overwhelmed with the feeling, when am I ever really going to use this? I think that made it very difficult for him to, uh, to study it. Uh, and I'm assuring him that, okay, you may not, but you might, and that's why we're studying it, and that's why you study all manner of things. And I think the, the heart behind that, the, I wasn't just trying to get him through something that's hard and uh, with some uh, fiction, but I think there is some reality to the fact that some of the things that we studied in school over the years, uh, they come full circle later. And you know, later on, you see a class or a teacher that really made an impact on you or a subject that you didn't anticipate at the time. And later, you see some dots connect where you're like, man, that really, really came full circle. And it's almost like music. It's almost poetic how uh, something that may not have been enjoyable at the time that God used at a later date. I'm hoping that today that this sermon might be that for you. 
We've been about, I think, coming up on three years in the book of Ephesians, and we're nearing the last, really, this is the, the next to last sermon in the book of Ephesians. And I'm hoping that in some ways the, the deposit that we've made or the installments that we've made in previous sermons in Ephesians, that they might become practical for you today, where you might see some dots connect, or something that you may have endured somewhat. Uh, you might see some... some um, wholeness as those efforts come full circle into something that can actually impact your Tuesday and your den and your relationships. So that's my whole, that's my hope for this sermon this morning. Uh, it's a big hope. It's a big expectation. Um, and I believe it's something that the Holy Spirit can work with even just what looks like a transitional passage. Um, so we're in verses 21 and 22. Uh, my plan for the morning is to expose the passage. It's not a real complicated passage. It's not a real complicated exposition. Uh, I want to sort of unpack the luggage in the passage. I want to get to know this main character here in this passage. And then I want us to just deal with two applications. So it's a very simple morning, very simple sermon. Um, one that I think will be easy to listen to, I hope. Um, so let's climb into our passage, verse 21 of chapter 6. So that you also may know how I am doing and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and, fellow and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. The closing passage, as I mentioned, the only thing really left after this passage is a couple of verses that are really called the benediction of the book of Ephesians or the letter of Ephesians. But these passages have to do with the delivery Actually, the person that's delivering the letter to the church at Ephesus and what that person is up to. It was very common in the ancient Roman Empire for people to deliver messages in person. Uh, they actually had some sort of a postal system where they had a kind of a network of people that could deliver uh, mail one to another to actually get where it was going to go eventually. But actually, uh, the emperor changed that. One of the, I can't remember, Augustus or whoever it was, one of those... Um, emperors changed it and said, if you're going to deliver a letter, then it needs to be a friend or a family member or an acquaintance that's delivering the letter, and they take it all the way there. Big government. Uh, big, big government is ages old, I guess. So anyway, that's, that's what they did. So that's what's happening here. This guy is delivering a letter, and that's what's going on in this passage. Um, some cool things about a friend delivering a letter, though, is friend is going to have a vested interest in, that, in, the, in the, the idea of it actually getting there. You know, you're talk, talking about traveling maybe potentially thousands of miles. You're talking about something that's not going to be easy and could be dangerous. So you would hope that um, a friend would have the follow-through to actually get it to its destination. That's one benefit. Another benefit is once the friend gets there, the friend is able to fill in the gaps and sort of explain the letter. You know, sometimes you dive into a written um, Texts are perfect. You know, a text is a great example. That they don't always give all the information. You text somebody, and we call it the text gremlins because they don't they don't reflect um, you know how you're feeling when you send when you say it. You might be thinking of something jokingly, but it comes off as ugly because it's in written form. So actually, having a friend deliver the letter who was there when the letter was written actually provides someone to help explain context and explain the background and the heart behind the letter. So that's another benefit of a friend delivering a letter. Uh, a third benefit is that um, uh, you can also let the recipients of the letter know how the sender's doing. Having just been there, you know, at least when the letter was written, you know how that person's feeling, how they're, if they're healthy, if they're in a good mood. Uh, Paul is in prison, so it's actually lots of information to share with the church at Ephesus. 
We see all those things going on in this passage. Delivery is implied. This guy named Tychicus is coming to you, and he's bringing this letter that I've written. That's implied. Uh, He's going to fill in the gaps. It says he will tell you everything. That's what the passage tells us. So he's going to tell you everything that's going on with Paul. And also, the last thing, so that you may know how and what I'm doing, and later on in the passage, that you may know how we are. He has all those ingredients there of a friend delivering a letter. So it's pretty cool that this man named Tychicus, I've been saying his name for years as Tychicus, uh, but actually looking at the Greek and and looking at um, the original pronunciation, it's actually Tychicus. So if you're like me, you can kind of self-correct there. Maybe you've been saying it right all along. There's five references to this guy in the New Testament. There's not a lot of information about the guy other than you see him kind of doing some things in various places. Uh, Acts 20, verse 4 is the first place you see him. You're welcome to turn there. It's not like an especially illuminating passage um, in terms of some deep truths that come from it. But I do want you to, I want to share a couple things about this this place where he has his uh, first appearance. Um, Paul has just been in a riot in Ephesus. Okay, Paul's just one of mission, his missionary journeys. He's, Ephesus was a pretty uh, traumatic place for him. There's a riot. Um, he goes from there to Macedonia and Greece. And then he's eventually going to Jerusalem. But he's going to take some partners with him. And this is what the passage tells us. He's going to take Sopater, the Berean. He's going to take um, uh, the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus. And he's going to take Gaius of Derby and Timothy and some Asians. And the Asians are... Tychicus and Trophimus. So some Asian Christians. We meet this guy. It's the first time that we see him. We find out that he is from um, an Asian Christian. And we don't know exactly where in Asia. He may have been Persian, uh, Mesopotamian, Cappadocian. He could have been from Pontus or, or Phrygia. There's all manner of places that ancient uh, Asia would describe. We don't know exactly where he's from. But we know that he's an ancient or he's an Asian Christian. He was sent on missions to Ephesus, uh, to Crete, to Colossae. Um, He actually delivered 2 Timothy to Timothy and delivered Titus to Titus. Okay? We know of just from what, what, we, uh, what we can piece together in, in the Bible that this guy delivered. Um, well, I'm going to save that, 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 this point because it's a, it's a kind of a cool point. Um, let me just share this first. Paul calls him a beloved brother. This is really going to come full circle later. He calls him a beloved brother and a faithful minister in the Lord. His name, we can kind of glean something about this guy from his name. His name, Tychicus, means fortuitous and serendipitous. Okay, Fortuitous means fortunate. Okay, You can kind of figure out the root word there. We don't use serendipity very often, but serendipity means, or serendipitous means that he's lucky. So I like the thought of just calling him Lucky from this point on. And I, I, I wanted to maybe have a, have a visual. So let's put Lucky up there on the screen for me, if you would. This guy really actually goes by the name Lucky. He, uh, he won an $18 million lottery in Canada after working two jobs for a number of years. He's from Sri Lanka. He's trying to move his family to Sri Lanka. And his name actually is Lucky Raha Paramanthanan. And he just looks like Lucky, you know. He's like missing a tooth, probably from that bicycle stunt that he did when he was a kid, you know, that he somehow survived. That's probably where he got the name Lucky. And here he is winning an $18 million lottery. 
Uh, it's just a cool story. Landed the winning ticket at Sunny Convenience Store in Eglinton Avenue in Scarborough on a free play from a previously purchased ticket. Now, I'm not encouraging you to go cash in the lottery. I just wanted to have a visual of a lucky. You know, lucky is, is what you name your dog, the three-legged dog that somehow survived a car wreck. Okay, you rename him Lucky. And this is a lucky that we can kind of visual that maybe this is this guy's name. Maybe they're calling this guy Lucky because he uh, just has, kind of has a look on his face like, hey, I'm not supposed to be here. <laughs> can you believe I'm here? I wonder if he had that look like this guy has. You can go ahead and turn Lucky off. We might come back to him later, but probably not. <laughs> lucky. I just enjoyed that. Okay, now we also, uh, there's something interesting about his name. His, actually might be, his, his name might be a code name. It makes me think of uh, Raising Arizona. We, we hear that, we use code names. He might be using code names because it was very common for them to use code names if they're carrying letters all over the Roman Empire, especially important letters, uh, that code names might cover who they're, they might be able to go incognito. And if they're referenced, they may not be able to figure out exactly who they are. So kind of a high-speed, Mission Impossible feel to it. We don't know if he was actually, uh, if it was a code name or not, our real name, but we're going to call him Lucky for the rest of the morning. Tychicus Lucky is responsible. Here we're, here's where I was going earlier. I wanted to save this point. He's, deliver, he's responsible for delivering five of the 13 letters that Paul wrote. Okay, five of the 13 letters that Paul wrote. Lucky carried and delivered. Think about this a sizable portion of our New Testament to the recipients. Okay, I'm just going to throw this out there. He is, in fact, a faithful servant, as he's referred to here, to deliver the portion of our New Testament to the recipients that he did. Uh, I want to just offer for families and life groups that there's some great devotionals that you could really draw out of this. The beauty of carrying God's word wherever you go and uh, that that work and that word not being void, not going to return void, that not only what Lucky put his hand to, did it not return um, void, but it's something we've been studying for the last two and a half years. Thank you, Tychicus. Thank you, Lucky, for doing your job and doing it well so that we could pour ourselves into this letter for the last couple of years. I want to go beyond devotionals this morning, though. Okay, that's why I'm not going to really spend any time on that devotional. I think, I think it's a good thing that families could talk about that and life groups could talk about that. I want to spend the rest of the morning just talking about some real practical application that comes from this passage. You might be curious about where we're going to get, how we're going to get some practical application from this passage, but I think it's just right here, sort of under the surface. It's not something that's obvious, but it's under the surface. So I just want to spend a few minutes talking about, first of all, that faith is personal. Faith is personal. A couple of clues from this passage. I'm going to read the passage again because we're just going to draw out a couple of things and take a closer look. So that you also may know how I am doing and what I'm doing. I'm sending Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, to tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. The New American Standard does a really nice job of translating what's actually being said in this passage verbatim. The New American Standard says that you may know about my circumstances and how I'm doing. 
I don't know why the ESV translated this passage the way it did. I trust my ESV. You should trust your ESV too. But for some reason, the ESV did some unusual stuff here. Where it says, this passage that says, the first part of it that says in verse 21, how I'm doing is actually an idiom. And the idiom actually means the things concerning me, just like the New American Standard translated, about my circumstances. Okay, the second phrase that the ESV translated what I'm doing, actually in the original language, is how I'm doing. Okay, that may seem like something that's pretty obscure, but I think there's a beautiful connection here, that they had an intimate relationship between Paul and the church at Ephesus. And Tychicus you could include as well, lucky. A beautiful connection that it's worth just taking a few minutes considering. It's beautiful that the connection between them was intimate enough that he wanted to offer not just what he's doing. We already know what he's doing. We know he's in chains. We saw that in verse 20. But how he's doing. Seems like a small thing, but it's actually a huge thing. I want to offer this to you. I think men are great at this. Men just driven by what everybody's doing. Wife, honey, Spouse, what are you doing today? What are you up to today? We can ask that question. I ask that question most days of the week. Christy, what are you doing today? I can ask my kids, what are you doing today, kids? Daniel, what are you doing right now? Why aren't you doing your chores? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? I can go months and years without ever even stopping to ask the question of someone that I care about. How are you doing? You realize there's a big difference there, right? You realize we can do that with each other, right? It seems like a really small thing, but it's actually a huge thing when you're on the receiving end of it. If all you do is live your lives and treat one another as role players, we've already considered that we can be guilty of that. We can go through this uh, household code saying, okay, I know what my role is, I know what your role is, I know what the kids' role is, so everybody play their part and everybody's going to be fine. We can do that day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, without ever stopping to ask the question, how are you doing? You realize when you treat someone that way, when you ask someone how you're doing, vice what are you doing, that you're actually treating them like a human being. You realize that you, you know how that feels when you're on the receiving end of that. And not just somebody in passing saying, hey, man, how's it going today? Ah, oh, it's fine. Yeah, it's cool. But I'm talking about somebody says, no, really, how are you doing? Man, doesn't that minister to you? Doesn't it minister to you just for a moment? Your circumstances haven't changed one iota. But just knowing that one person, at least in that given day, wants to really know how you're doing. Christy this morning said, how are you feeling? And it's like medicine. Medicine. I love that they had this intimate relationship between Paul and the church at Ephesus and Tychicus included, lucky that they wanted to know how one another's doing. Man, that ought to be part and parcel to being the people of God. That we care first, not what are you doing as a role player. That's important. But we care first, how are you doing as a human being, as another person that's doing life like me? How are you doing? Faith is personal. The second thing that we can draw out of this passage along this same heading of faith is personal, is Paul refers to Tychicus as the beloved brother and faithful minister. 
Now, in the original language, those aren't on same, they're not equal. The Greek wording here suggests that faithful minister here was secondary to beloved brother. In other words, it would be like this. It would be like Paul saying, hey, I'm sending Lucky, who is first my brother, and who is second, a faithful minister. Man, this is beautifully fits with this idea of personhood. What a beauty if we saw each other first and foremost as brothers and sisters instead of just role players. What if we saw one another first as brothers and sisters instead of first as staff members, first as deacons, first as workmates, even first as spouses or children? What if we, how would it transform the way we treat one another if we're not only asking how you're doing often, but if we're thinking of one another first as brothers and sisters more than we're thinking of one another as just role players and church members and employees and whatever role we might be filling? It seems like a small thing, but it's a huge thing to treat one another like brothers and sisters first. What beauty if we saw each other first and foremost this way. This is my brother. Oh, yeah, and also he's a teacher or a deacon or a children's worker or a greeter or a parking lot guy. Imagine if a husband and wife saw one another first as brother and sister in Christ. Man, I'm going to tell you guys in here right now, that will change the way you treat your wife if you saw her first as a daughter of the high king of heaven before you saw her as your wife. A lot of the struggles that we deal with in our own marriages where I am seeing her first and foremost as my wife and have forgotten, oh yeah, she's a daughter of the high king of heaven. First of all, my sister. Man, those aren't small things. That's not not obscure. It's maybe an obscure truth, but it's a truth nonetheless. Just consider how that would transform your life and the way you treat one another. Faith is personal. Everything about this interchange here is personal. How you doing? Tychicus is coming to you, my faithful, beloved brother. That's the first thing I want to draw out application-wise is that faith is personal. The second thing is, and this is going to have to, we have to be really work really hard, that this thing I'm about to say, this heading, is not taken out of context. Faith is lucky. Okay, don't go tell your friends that my pastor said faith is lucky. That's it. This, you have to understand this in context. Don't take, rip this out of context or this is going to just go haywire. But this is the point I'm going to develop in these next few minutes. Faith is lucky. Faith is lucky. Look back in Ephesians chapter 2. I have shared for years that maybe my favorite passage of Scripture, I'm actually going to share my favorite passage of Scripture later in the morning, but maybe my next favorite passage of Scripture over the years has been this passage in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. I feel like if you're going to sit down with someone and share the gospel with them, you're going to go to this passage, hopefully. It, it, is, it is clean. I mean, it's tidy. It's, it's linear. It just shows you what you aren't or what you are without Christ and what you are later. Okay, I'm going to read it, and I want you to just enjoy this with me. Okay, and I hope that together we can enjoy. This is the gospel, okay? Chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. Before Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, hopeless and helpless. 
among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We, before Christ, apart from Christ, were due the wrath of God for our sin. Okay, man, that's tidy. If you've never really heard the gospel in a real tidy sense, linear sense, man, that's tidy and linear. On your best day, you've still sinned against a holy God. The standard is not the guy that's next to you. You can always find somebody that you're better than. Okay, the standard is not a horizontal, horizontal standard. It is a vertical standard. And next to a holy God, no one's righteous. No, not one. Dead in our trespasses and sins. Terrible news, those first three verses. But then verse 4 starts with two of my favorite words. But God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we're dead in our trespasses and sins, Paul made up three new verbs for the beautiful truths that come out of this passage. He made us alive together with Christ. That's the first made-up verb. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Here's the second verb. He raised us up with him, and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's the third one. He seated us with him so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The passage goes on to say in verse 10 that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Essentially what he's done there, he said, okay, you're dead in your trespasses and sins on your best day. But I've made you alive together with Christ. I've raised you with Christ, and I've seated you with Christ. And all that so in the coming ages, you would be a masterpiece. Not because there's some inherent value in you, because what God has done in and through in you and on you by your union with Christ so that you can go be a billboard of the grace and goodness and love of God. You can show it to everyone that you know. Man, look at the scandal of what God has done for me. When I deserved his wrath, he made me alive with him. Not only that, he raised me with Christ. But the crazy scandal is he seated me with the victor. What a gracious, loving, and good God. You know, for me, for years, that's been it. That's been the gospel. If you're hearing it this morning for the first time, man, get your hands around it. That's the gospel. But here's something else for you. That's not all of it. As if it could get any better than that. As if we would need to add to that. We don't. But God then adds to that. The next verse, listen to this, is what we've called the rest of the gospel, beginning in verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, you guys from Asia. Okay, we're going to connect to old Lucky. Okay, Lucky, you guys. Called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. He's referring to sort of a parking place for the Jews. They're the circumcision which he's made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you guys, you Asians and from wherever, anybody that's not a Jew were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And here's my second two favorite words. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both, made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. 
by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances, that he might make in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. See, the good thing is there is a rest of the gospel. Those first 10 verses are all about you getting reconciled with your creator. We might call them the vertical good news of how you dead in your trespasses and sins, deserving God's wrath through your union with Christ can be restored, not only restored, I mean brought back into a relationship with your creator, raised and seated with the victor already. But the rest of the good news is that Jew and Gentile through the cross can be made one into a whole new humanity. We don't tell that very much. We don't tell that story because we're like, is it relevant? Are you a Jew? Am I a Gentile? It's not relevant, so let's not talk about that. Man, that is the rest of the good news. And that is what Paul referred to later in the book of Ephesians. Look at chapter 3, verse 6. It's what he referred to as his his job. This is my job in verse 6. This mystery This is his job of making known this mystery, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul says, this is my job. It's my job to convey the scandal of the fact that not only are we reconciled to God vertically, but the least likely of people to ever become united Jew and Gentile, are made into one new people. All right, here's what's so cool about this passage. Here's what's so cool about where we've been this morning in these couple of verses, transitional verses. Lucky, Tychicus, an Asian Gentile is Paul's, a Jew, beloved Brother. Man, it's obvious, but you've got to enjoy the beauty of it. He's a walking visual aid and testimony to the reality of the rest of the gospel. He's proof that Paul wasn't just talking about theory. Hi, I'm Tychicus. Come on in, Tychicus, you Asian Christian. Come on in and tell us how our beloved Jewish brother's doing. Come on in and have a sit. Our beloved brother, we've been made one through this gospel. He's living proof that the gospel is also the good news of an event and a work so profound that it can bring ethnic healing and wholeness. Do any of y'all enjoy the beauty of that right now? Do we live in a world that needs that? Wow, man, that's beautiful. Faith is lucky. It's not just theory. It's not just some sort of pie-in-the-sky notions. It's real people with real stories. Put that picture of that guy back up there, Lucky. Put Lucky back up there. Let's just imagine this is Lucky. Real people. Real stories, man. This is crazy. You've read the story of Babel? You know, in Babel, they want to make a good name for themselves. So they build this big tower. And as a result of their sin, they're scattered all over the earth with all these different languages. 
Man, here's the crazy thing. Through the cross, they're regathered, gathered back up. Come on. Come on back here. Come on back together. If Babel was the bad news that people would be spread all over the earth with various languages, and we could add walls, the rest of the gospel was the good news that he has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. Man, I'm telling you, this is some seriously good medicine. Put my gravestone image up there, please. I read this week about this uh, gravestone, or these two gravestones, I should say. This is a, uh, a graveyard in the Netherlands. In the 1800s, a couple was married. One is a Protestant, one is a Catholic. And when they died, they wouldn't let them be married in, or buried in the same graveyard. Let's put a wall up here. And here, this is their effort to say, man, we're, we're somehow together with a handshake across the wall there. Man, you've got to know that we're really good at building walls. We're really good at making walls. Mankind doesn't need any help with making walls. And maybe it's a product of Babel. I don't know. It's a product of sin. We are great at making walls. Ridiculous that a Catholic and Protestant can't be married together. Of all places, what did the cross accomplish? If Catholic and Protestant can't be buried in the same graveyard, I've got news for that wall. And I've got news for any other wall that we want to put up. For folks also who like nice and tidy walls where you stay over there, you different people. You do different language, eating different foods, different colors, whatever reason we might have. You stay over there, I'll stay over here where it's nice and safe. I've got news for these people and for these nice, tidy walls. The gospel has broken down the wall so that Jews and Gentiles can be one in Christ. Man, that's good news. That's just as gospel as you and, you and God can be reconciled through Christ. That's just as much good news. Black and white can be one in Christ. Husband and wife, one from Mars and one from Venus, can be one in Christ. Rich and poor can be one in Christ. Homeschoolers, Christian schoolers, public schoolers can be one in Christ. People that use oils. People that use herbs, people that use medicine, can be one in Christ. Man, we've got to enjoy this. People that love sports can be one in Christ with those who don't. Man, isn't this good news? Don't you love this? Take that picture down if it's still up. I don't even want it up. I don't even get it out of my periphery. I don't even want to see it. Man, Lucky is proof. Come on in here, Lucky. Tell us how Paul the Jew, I mean, Paul, my brother, is doing. I bet they messed with him, too. Hey, uh, Lucky, can you explain to us this section about Christ breaking down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile and making one new, one new humanity? And, and Tychicus kind of looks at him like, what? 
He says, ah, we're just kidding with you, Tychicus. We're just kidding because we know you're a living, walking testimony of the reality of that truth. Because you're Paul's beloved brother, an Asian Christian. Man, faith is lucky. Faith is like literally lucky. This is wonderful. I want to take you to my... I told you I was going to share my favorite passage of Scripture with you. I'm trying to get through it. Just thinking about it gets me emotional. Revelation chapter 4 and 5. We're not going to look at the whole thing, but I just want to show you something in here. This is something I think that it's time for you to get excited about this part of the gospel. It's time for you to get excited about this part of the gospel. Revelation chapter 4 and 5 are uh, the throne room vision of God and the Lamb. And I remember preaching through them years ago. Uh, Clint, some other guys, wrote a song from what I'm about to read. The, chapter 4, man, it's just unbelievable images that come out of chapter 4. From the throne comes flashes of lightning, and rumblings, and peals of thunder before the throne are burning seven torches of fire. It's this picture of the, the Holy Spirit is there in its fullness, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne, there, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal, or like crystal, like his omnipresence. You know, you see these beautiful character traits about God that come out of it. There's these four critters that are these all crazy looking critters that don't do anything except just sit around and sing and fly and saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come. There's elders like casting their crowns at the King of kings and Lord of lords. It's awesome, chapter 4. And then in chapter 5, look what happens in chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who's seated on the throne a scroll written within and on back, sealed with seven seals. Now in the book of Revelation, let me just tell you, there are seven seals and seven trumpets and seven bowls. They sort of, they're sort of the guide to how the end of the age unfolds. Okay? They need to be broken. Those seals need to be broken. And those trumpets need to be blown. And those bowls need to be poured out in order for the marriage supper of the Lamb to happen eventually at the end of the age. Okay, so that's setting. Why well, says? I saw at the right, in the right hand of him who's seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. Man, it's super sealed. In seven, that means all, it's all kind of sealed. You ain't getting in that thing, boy. Nobody is. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? That's a great question. You know what happened after that? Silence. <laughs> like crickets. Hey, that's a great question, angel. Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And John says, I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. You want them opened. Somebody needs to open these scroll up. Somebody needs to break these seals. And one of the elders said to John, hey, 
John, it's going to be all right. Weep no more. It's not stalled. I know it looks like it's stalled. Weep no more. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll. I can't read through my tears. He can open the scroll and its seven seals like a boss. Yes. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, with seven eyes, and which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of the, him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Shauna mentioned that last week. Fitting. And they sang a new song. Let's listen to the song they sing. It's time for you to get excited about the rest of the gospel. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed a people for God from every tribe. Asians, come on, Tychicus. From every tribe, every language, and people, and nation. And you've made them a kingdom. And priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. It's time to get excited about the rest of this gospel. Man, it's beautiful. Man, it's sin that separated us. But it's Christ's person and work horizontal and vertical that regathers us here's what getting excited about this might mean getting excited about this rest of the gospel might mean that you learn arabic so that you could share the good news with muslims in hard places that's happening right here in this church church body right here right now Getting excited about this might mean that you're scheming now about an upcoming missions offering. Scott's going to make an announcement at the end of the morning, starting right now. Oh, we'll drag another offering. No, you had not gotten excited about the rest of the gospel. You need to go back and get excited about the rest of the gospel. You get to participate in this gathering of the nations. We're going to give you an opportunity to participate through offering. How about that? Man, that's a totally different approach. Mm. Getting excited about this might mean that you have a new set of eyes for folks who don't look like you, talk like you, act like you, eat stuff that you like to eat, read what you read, and yes, even vote the way you vote. Man, getting excited about the rest of the gospel will change all that. Getting excited about this might mean that you refuse to give up on your marriage that seems, feels, and looks hopeless because you believe in this part of the gospel every bit as much as you do the first part of the gospel. That there's hope for your marriage. That in Christ, someone from Mars and someone from Venus can be made one. Mm. Anybody else need to be reminded of that? Anybody else? It's just Christy and Ben? I bet there's some folks in here who need to have that hope. Yep. I know, for, I know for sure. 
man, get excited about the rest of the gospel. It'll give you some hope in that. It'll give you some new resources, some new fuel to press on praying and hoping. Getting excited about this part of the gospel might mean you do the excruciating work of reconciling with a brother or a sister in Christ because of what was already won for you. Right? It's crazy how we can get crossways with each other, isn't it? Like, you kidding me? Boy, we can throw up some walls. Mm-mm. Right? And then we share the supper together each week. Does anybody else see the irony in that? Man, I know it's excruciating because I had to do it at times. That's hard. But you're walking in what was one for you. You're being fueled by and energized by the rest of the gospel. <laughs> Man, that's beautiful. Mm, no walls. Faith is you and that person working out oneness that was already one for you. This stuff we study each week, man, here's where I really want to land the plane. It's not academic. It's not theory. <laughs> We're not just talking about some random ideas, pie-in-the-sky kind of stuff every week. We're talking about real rubber meets the road, things going on here, things you can really touch and feel. Like a guy named Tychicus, our code name. He may have been codenamed. But a real guy. A real guy, hard one. And a guy united to God's people through Christ's work. Real people, things you can touch and, pe- and, and feel like lucky. There are other names among us Casey, Billy. We have our luckies, there's a room full of us. Jerry, Gary, Corey, Ginevra. I mean, there's a room full of us. We got a letter that was sent to us this week. I think it came on Monday from a lady named Dawn who's with us but not with us physically. She's at a correctional facility in uh, Arkansas, women's correctional facility. But she'd been walking with us. She knows you are Emily, Ginevra. I don't know which one. Not by person, but by laugh. For real. She's she going to hear that. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? She's being nourished in the very things that we're being nourished with and being sustained while she's waiting to see and be united with, if they will even unite with her, her family again, eventually. And she's walking with the Lord in a hard place. This isn't academic. It's not theory. It's real people, real stories. Jenny, Lindsay, Elisha, Shauna. Walking testimonies to life-altering truth. These truths are really meant for your Tuesdays, your real Tuesdays, not an imaginary one, but real Tuesdays. Real dens. Real relationships. Faith is personal and faith is lucky. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful that we are not in some sort of classroom 
just talking about some theoretical thing, but the dots have connected. I'm thankful that those connected dots walk among us, that we bump elbows with one another as dots that are um, connected to this scandal of vertical and horizontal reconciliation through the person and work of Christ. Lord, that is really good news. That is something I want to be part of forever. Forever. We enjoy the lamb who is standing as if slain. Ah, he is good. We're thankful for this new song. The song for the nations. We're thankful for this rest of the gospel, Lord. I pray that more things, crazy things will happen, like people learning foreign languages just so they can take the gospel to hard places. Crazy things that will happen, like people wanting to fuel that work financially and in prayer support because it matters and because it's the rest of the good news. What a great and awesome thing you've called us to be part of. We're thankful. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.